This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Anishinaabeg and the Haudenosaunee people. We acknowledge the enduring presence of First Nation, Métis, and Inuit people on this land. We're grateful for the opportunity to gather in this territory, even virtually, and to be in this community. We commit ourselves to the work of reconciliation among settlers and Indigenous peoples, and we acknowledge that not all settlers were brought here by choice. Through this land acknowledgement, our intent is to honor and show gratitude to the original and ongoing stewards of the land as a sign of respect and willingness to learn and heal. We are mindful of broken covenants and the need to reconcile with all our relations. Together, may we care for this land and each other, drawing on the strength of our mutual history of nation building through peace and friendship, being mindful of the ancestors and generations to come. Welcome to The Intersection, where we are building community through candid conversations that lift, inspire, and advance social change. Have you ever wondered how to advance diversity, equity, and inclusion in your organization, but aren't sure how to start without causing or perpetuating harm? Many people are struggling with exactly this. My co-host Paul Nazareth and I, Kimberly McKenzie, are thrilled to welcome Chanel Grenaway into conversation. Paul and I loved Chanel's recently published article in Charity E-News called How to Keep a Growth Mindset, Mindset at a Time of Failure, and we just had to invite her into the hub to chat about her work. Chanel has over 20 years experience in the nonprofit sector focused on integrating equity and intersectionality practice into workplace cultures. She has worked with foundations, multi-service nonprofit agencies, and academic institutions, and she currently supports organizations to improve their equity and inclusion outcomes through equity assessments, training, knowledge building, community engagement, and action planning. In this episode, we start learning more about Chanel and digging into what it means to really be an equitable leader in this moment. How can we lead learning organizations and continue to build a culture of trust in times of failure? And how can we be intentional about taking pauses to reflect, process, and learn while doing such busy and important work? Please join me in welcoming Chanel to The Hub. Chanel, welcome to The Hub. Great to be here, Kimberly. Thanks for having me. Well, we're so glad to, to have you. And uh, and Paul and I were inspired in the exact same moment when we read your Hillborn article, and we had to get you in here. So thank you so much for coming. Yeah, looking forward to it. Um, can Before we get started, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into this work? Yeah. Um, so I started consulting about five years ago. Um, and prior to that, I had a really uh, great career at the Canadian Women's Foundation. Um, I started at the foundation when there were just about nine or 10 of us and stayed, um, uh, yeah, you know, uh, 14 years and uh, grew with the foundation. And when I left, uh, gosh, we were over 30 staff really great uh, place to learn and grow. Uh, my work was focused on gender analysis, gender equity, poverty reduction for women and girls. Um, and uh, in the various roles I played there, it's uh, really, I think, honed my skills on 
um, asset-based approaches, strength-based approaches uh, to poverty um, uh, reduction? You know, what does uh, leadership and particularly um, uh, women's leadership look like uh, in the sector? Uh, lots of learnings around uh, community engagement and collaboration, stakeholder engagement, grant making. So, you know, it was like I said, I, I, the reason why I stayed there so long was because I was constantly learning. And so I've sort of taken that learning um, into my uh, practice um, and uh, my practice is evolving. So, you know, a lot of my work still is in the area of um, uh, women's empowerment uh, or women's engagement in uh, various aspects of society uh, and uh, in the area of uh, facilitating conversations about uh, gender analysis, equity, uh, anti-racism, anti-oppression. Uh, and yeah, you know, as a consultant, you get to enjoy um, working with a variety of clients in a variety of sectors. So I think um, uh, it, it's definitely been a roller coaster of a ride, but um, uh, really, really enjoying the work um, uh, that I've been doing. And it's such important work too, right? Like it, the time has never been richer for that kind of work. I think people really have an appetite to dig in and have some tough conversations. Um, yeah, definitely. I think, um, you know, it, it goes without saying that uh, it, uh, there was a lot of reckoning, you know, um, yeah, in 2020, right? And, uh, and, and we're still uh, evolving, I think, in our, in our learning and thinking about inequities that, you know, came to the surface uh, in 2020. And you're right. Um, it, it's leaders of organizations, it's boards, it's volunteers, it's community members that are now, you know, I think all engaging in these conversations in different ways and, and, and at different um, spaces and, and, and levels of the work. But I have um, definitely when I started consulting, uh, I would, uh, I didn't, you know, call myself a anti-racist facilitator or a person that can help facilitate conversations about um, uh, oppression, for example. I couldn't because th those terms weren't really accepted. And, you know, it, it, I think organizations didn't think they had a problem with that. Mm -hmm. Now, however, yeah, I think uh, they're looking for that type of support. They're looking for someone to help um, advance their diversity, um, equity and inclusion policies and practices because they realize, you know, there's still a lot more work to be done. It's interesting because that's the, the work you were talking about doing right now. But uh, both Kimberly and I kind of met you through your Hillborn series. And I, it's interesting because I think a, a lot of people have had a real reaction to it, partially because you're, you're, you're not writing with the, that lens. It, really, what I'm reading is you're talking about what does leadership look like today? And real leadership is inclusive and thoughtful and compassionate in these ways. But you're coming at it from almost like you're living in the definition of the future and writing from there. And it's really connecting with people. I think partially because it's not beating them over the head with inclusion, which is what a lot of folks are doing. And I, I can clearly see leaders suffering with that right now. They're struggling because they're trying to do it, but they didn't make mental, organizational, operational budget space for any of that growth. We're certainly seeing that. And I'm definitely appreciating your writing there. But again, your writing is coming to this from a capital L leadership space. Um, and and it, it really seems to denote an understanding of how many organizations are dealing with this. Where does that come from? Yeah, um, so, great question. And um, 
as I reflect on how my practice and my way of supporting and, and coaching organizations has evolved, uh, I came to a place of, um, I think my the strength that I can, can offer is really helping, again, leaders, staff, look at this work from that leadership perspective and from a place of agency and from a place of, you know, because the work can be so overwhelming, right? Mm -hmm. So what does it mean to apply uh, an equity um, perspective, an equity practice, you know, as um, uh, as a frontline worker, as a, you know, manager? And, and so my, um, one of my um, initial uh, programs or, or workshops is called equity-centered leadership. But I offer that not just to the board members and the CEOs or the executive directors, it's offered to everyone. So everyone can enter that course and see the outline and, you know, uh, come to the space with this idea of, you know, I can also contribute to this and how can I, what do, what, you know, what do, um, what do I have to reflect on? What do I have to, to, to learn? Um, and so, uh, yeah, with, with so with with definitely with my thinking, it's, it's it's for me, it's all about entry points, right? So I think 2020 again, we have this huge entry point into this awareness of we need to do better, mm -hmm. but uh, or and um, and it was really about me figuring out again how where is my space in terms of supporting organizations and really supporting the nonprofit sector. Um, to, to continue on that journey or to start that journey. And leadership seemed to be, um, yeah, a place where um, it, it resonated. And I, I, you know, I felt confident in speaking to that. Mm. Well, it's interesting because your writing allows you to come at this from very different ways. Yeah. You know, you, you talk about kind of the, the accessibility and the on-ramps. Definitely right now, I see these equity discussions happening at the board level, happening in back rooms because very often leaders are very afraid about how to start doing this and talking about it and make mistakes. Yeah. And what I'm hearing from the, a lot of the frontline workers, in our case, fundraising colleagues often, is I don't feel this from my manager. Yeah. I don't feel like this is touching my work or life or that we're trying to combat our biases or anything. Yeah. And that's great that you're offering it to the whole organization. But I, I got to say, your writing is really powerful because it's getting out to more of the community. And Frankly, more managers who are not being supported in this have a resource in that. Yeah. You know, so uh, I'd love to know too as well, what, what's your feeling behind the series? Because wonderfully enough, it's a series. And, you know, how, who are you trying to talk to when you're writing it? Yeah. Um, so I think uh, with the series, I'm really um, reflecting on my own learnings because, you know, this work is evolving and I'm learning as I go. Um, so I guess uh, I, I'm speaking to, um, uh, you know, individuals who are um, committed and invested in this in this work and who are, again, making those efforts. And I'm trying to share again, uh, it, yeah, it's lessons learned. It's um, uh, different resources. It's different perspectives uh, that I'm trying to share. And, and again, with a hope to get them to, you know, um, make sense of it to do that again that sense making that reflection in their own context so when i you know if i look at the, the last one i did which is really around um you know what does it mean to be a, a learning organization that you know clearly it, it, there was a direct link with an experience that i had and and other experiences that i was able to reflect on 
um, where I was looking at how different organizations actually behave when a mistake is made, when harm is harm occurs. You know, we always say it's cliche now, you know, this work is messy. This you know, it's not a straight path. There's going to be ups and downs and um, um, mistakes made. And, you know, people nod and they understand. Theoretically, I think you understand that. But it's a different thing when it happens. And I don't think when it happens to you, when it happens in your team, your organization, your board. And I don't think organizations have had those, again, maybe tough conversations about what will we actually do mm. when, you know, when something happens. Um, so I think those are really good conversations to have right up front, you know. Um, so that so again, um, I think it was. Um, Stephen Covey that said, you know, progress happens at the speed of trust, right? Mm -hmm. And these conversations um, that, that we're engaging in are, 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 you know, it's about trust. It's about relationship building. Um, you know, you mentioned it, it, conversations happening at, you know, with, within communities, organizations, yeah, front, front office, back office. It's so true. And, you know, the only way we're going to move forward together is if we can establish places of trust where again people understand again yes mistakes will happen but I'm not going to be canceled out I'm not going to be um, shamed humiliated what you know if and when you know um, hmm. harm harm is that is such a important point that you make because a lot because the importance of building trust can't be overstated. Um, and this call out culture, I think has a bit of, I've always felt that it has a bit, a, a really strong negative backlash and reconciling for myself is my silence complicit. Do I, am I educated enough to know how to speak to these things? And what happens if I screw up in public, which, you know, Paul knows I do that all the time here, but. Um, <laughs> with courage, with courage, Kimberly. Yes, moving forward courageously. And, and but, but the, I love in the article, which we will post a link to, um, when you talk about the, this call out culture, culture and Adrian Mari Brown and her book, We Will Not Cancel Us, it that provides safety for folks to go, okay, I can be brave and bold and compassionate. Um, but that's a social contract I think groups need to establish at the beginning, you know, the laying exactly. out the ground rules. Exactly, Kimberly. And, um, you know, with this particular or with one of the situations that I learned from, yeah, it was um that, that that was the missed opportunity you know assumptions were made it was a community engagement um uh, type of uh, event and scenario and so assumptions were made about the relationship between um this advisory group and the the, the organization um and so communications went out um uh, again it was assumed that trust was already built that you know terms of reference were were agreed upon um, and then when we got together, uh, and, and uh, when I was um, uh, charged with facilitating the conversation, you know, community, they were prepared with really good questions that I couldn't answer that, again, I realized, you know, again, assumptions were made. And they basically said, you know, you know, you know, how 
um, some of the questions were, you know, why weren't we involved in the selection process of, again, the facilitators or the consultants? Um, uh, who, how is this process going to be different? So basically, you know, our, our goal was to create a very equitable, inclusive, in, uh, community-grounded process. But they asked us, you know, be specific. How are you doing this in a different way? Um, they asked, uh, you know, you know, who is getting paid in this space and who is not? Who created the questions? You know, why? What data is being valued? So, you know, really great questions. I could answer some. I couldn't answer any. At the end of it, we said, you know, they said, you know, you know, get back to us. You know, get because we're not ready to participate with you and with these, this organization until those things are mm -hmm. are set. So, you know, um, it's uh, you, you really. So, the analogy that I came up with after it's kind of like asking someone to dinner. But you're not telling them all of the details in terms of the why. You're not, you're not asking them, are you vegetarian? Or, you know, what are your food preferences? You're not asking them, you know, about is this location, you know, um, uh, suitable. Nice. You're you're not giving them the chance metaphor. to co-design. Yeah, you're not giving them the chance to. Because the old way of inviting people to dinner, because I can also hear my mom in my head here. You know, the old way of inviting people to dinner is there is a generosity shown. And but the old way was you show up and deal with anything that happens while you're there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I remember, you know, saying to my mom at someone's house, you know, this food doesn't agree with me or this or that or whatever. She was like, you will eat that. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, and going from the old way, which is hierarchy and power in yeah. that space. Yeah. So it's interesting. My own alma mater had designed a program to deal with young people, with, with students and young alumni, which they thought was equitable because it was about giving young people and often diverse people access to wisdom and experience. And the event was called Dinner with 12 Strangers. And I thought it was, I really felt it was quite brilliant. But it also meant that the person who was hosting had a home that could accommodate 12 people and 12 strangers. Right. And how comfortable were people in those environments, often super wealthy places in weird parts of town, uh, you know, like it's just where we're having to ask questions about the larger picture. Exactly. It's tough because people who enjoy the status quo say, you know, there was a generosity there and you're spitting in its face and you're kind of like, but you got to ask yourself more questions about what that really was. Again, an old school generosity was one way. And what we're seeing in the new world, and again, I take this from really the, the, a lot of indigenous wisdom that I'm yeah. on a learning journey of right now, yeah. is that reciprocity is the more equitable way. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting you quoted Covey, because I'm a huge fan of that book. Okay. Yeah. Uh, his son, uh, Stephen R. Covey, and, that, and the crux of that book, because it really applies to the world of fundraising. And he said, trust is built when you do what you say. Ah, yeah. And in the world of fundraising, we talk about making a promise, keeping it when it comes to the transaction of money. But what we're talking about here is the transaction in, in the organization. Yeah. And that's cool. But then you have to be clear about what you're saying. Yeah. And that <laughs> is what a lot of people are feeding back to us. I'm not clear about your, what you're even saying. When you're saying you're going to include us, does that mean we're on the agenda? You're going to call us, you know, on us to, uh, frankly, to give. It was a form of extraction is a challenge. Um, but are we at the table? Yeah. Because if we're not at the table, then we don't need to be. And that's a whole new world. Whereas before, you know, we had power structures in which there was only one way in. And now in a new world that is everything digitally connected, all of that, there's a lot of other ways to hold power and do things. Yeah. 
So, you know, that's the adaptation that I really feel that you're addressing with a lot exactly. of Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting paradox because there's a real sense of urgency around this work right now. And to establish a trusting and safe environment, sometimes you need to take half an hour in a two hour agenda just to hear from people, right? <laughs> and, and really slow down so that you can get everybody in an equal, equitable place. And that is something a lot of organizations don't take the time or think about doing. Yeah, yeah. They, they don't make the space. They don't make the space. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. And again, it's because they've been doing the same thing forever. So for a lot of folks, it's now just habit. Yeah, yeah. And the inclusion part, they just want to throw in, but mm. you're you're barreling through this thing like a bull in a china shop and just breaking things. Mm. And the challenge is, if you do it really wrong, you're breaking people. You mm. are. You're breaking relationships. Yeah. You, and 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 again, it's going to take a lot more time to rebuild that trust. So I, again, I, I love to you know uh, that that your your quote. Oftentimes, you know, when organizations um, again do um, make mistakes and you know um, are trying to uh, work through a reconciliation, uh, you know, even after an apology, and, and but they still know that the tension is there. You know, they ask, you know, you know, what more can I do? And that's what I say. I say you now. It's now about action, right? If you have to, on a day by day, moment by moment, show them that um, uh, you're doing better. Show them that you are trying again. You have to rebuild that trust now by action. It's not by words anymore. Like once you've done a really good apology, once you you know um, uh, created again that space for us, you know some more learning, some more dialogue. It's now just about action. How you have to show them with your uh, behaviors and your practices, um, the way you are, you're engaging with them. That's, that's the only way to rebuild trust. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen, you know, as soon as you leave the room from an apology. No, it, it, it takes time. Yeah. That, that, and to me, that's a, you know, uh, we can probably have a whole conversation about the importance of reflection, sense-making and pause, right? It, it's, um, uh, it's one of those things where we, that's a bad habit that we we're all, we all suffer from it. I think, right. It's, it, we've been go, 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 right. Mm -hmm. Deadlines and um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Outcomes that we have to follow to do lists, all these things. When do we, you know, if you look at any given day, you know, do you take the time to, to stop and pause and reflect? Mm -hmm. um, uh, when I facilitate meetings now um, uh, you know, it, and again, this is following um, some indigenous traditions where, you know, there's a, there's an opening that's very grounded, right? You, you're, cause you, you know, you recognize people are coming to your meetings after, you know, if, if especially in afternoon after doing, you know, maybe a dozen different things. So how do you ground yourself to talk about what you're going to talk about? And then there's the ending, there's a closing. How do you, again, thank, you know, um, uh, thank what's been offered in this space. How do you um, recognize energy levels, right? What was your energy level coming into this? Has it been improved? Has it decreased? What do you need? So, you know, um, I in my day, I do try, you know, um, I try not to multitask. And I try when I finish something just to take a pause, even if it's just looking outside my window, just to kind of reflect and, um, again, ground myself. Um, uh, 
and yeah, and sometimes it's a deeper reflection of, you know, did I really um, think about, you know, again, decentering myself, decentering my own bias and my privilege in what I just did? Is there anything I missed? You know, so you, you can you can make it as deep or, or not as deep. But to me, just the practice of pausing is, yeah, is important. That's why I like the rosebud thorn exercise. Have you have you all heard about that? Yeah. Um, at the beginning of group facilitation, I will, and it drives the person who actually hired me crazy because it takes time. But, <laughs> but, and they're like, can we hurry up and get on? Yeah, with it, what does this have to do with anything? Yeah. But we started doing this with my stepchildren um, because they were transitioning from one house to another house. And we didn't really know, we know both houses are different. Um, it's a different energy. There's different expectations. So every Friday we would sit down with our kids and do a rosebud thorn of their week to help them with the transition. The rose is something amazing that's happened. The bud is something you're looking forward to. And the thorn is something you wish had gone differently. Wow. And when we do this, I just did it last weekend at a, at a workshop. When we take time to do that at a workshop, people can bring their whole person to the table and it helps them arrive and be present. And so when folks throw down their thorn, um, it could be my husband was diagnosed with cancer. I'm missing an important family event because I had to make this a priority. And once people can say those things, their whole humanity is on display and we can celebrate their roses and we can have empathy for their thorns and we can share their buds. Um, and it takes about half an hour. And guess what? At the end of that, we're in community together. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I definitely think that the pandemic has not helped with that. You know, you talk about placemaking and even saying, well, how can we be grounded here? I've got a, a great colleague who often says at the end of our Zoom meetings, see you on the next screen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and we've lost everything, including the even the commute down the hall. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's just screen to screen. And you know, again, I tell people, I don't even know where I am. I don't know what time zone, what country, yeah. what province. Mm -hmm. It's just screen after screen. And so we've lost that placemaking because yeah. we are actually traveling in these Zoom things to different places we need to be and grounded. And we're not making the time to be grounded, even in what is this meeting for? Exactly. You know, that's a, yeah. something that, that we really need to. And on the leadership side, again, we're trying to help today's leaders bring a lot of other things along with them, a lot of other considerations. We're saying take off the blinders. Mm -hmm. And in my own, I'm you know part of a project right now with the, the Circle on Indigenous Philanthropy called Partners in Reciprocity, where they're helping our organization take apart everything down to our operations and bylaws and rebuild it with an inclusive worldview. And it's a real challenge because, again, you got to make time, space, Again, the biggest one challenge for a lot of organizations is budget. Yeah. But this diversity stuff is going to cost us money. Well, if you want the organization to keep looking like it is and keep doing what it does, and there's a lot more things you want. Again, for years as a fundraiser, I've had to say to, to boards, you want money from these different diverse communities. They need to be represented on your board, on your staff. If you want that money, then you have to bring, you know, I, people have to identify. Right. They say, again, I didn't even know this. I often say you can't be what you can't see. 
which was a quote from what I knew to be a civil rights leader. But what I didn't know was she was an ED of a small charity. You know, and if, if we can't, it's never going to get there. Yeah. I'd like to ask a question that I might be a little bit clumsy with. Um, we know, you know, that many governance boards are whitewashed. <laughs> we know um, that many boards want to have uh, more diversity of experience and uh, background. And how do you move forward recruiting folks that aren't represented without it feeling like tokenism? Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, great question. And again, lots of boards, board chairs, you know, um, are asking themselves that, how do you do that work? Um, and I think it goes back to, um, you know, what Paul was just saying about relationship building. It really, you know, you, um, uh, so I would say it's a few things. So, you know, I think uh, all boards really should go through um, uh, some sort of awareness building, some sort of, again, um, facilitated conversations related to, uh, I would say, again, uh, you know, moving away from solely diversity and inclusion, but really starting to talk about equity, racial justice, uh, and anti-oppression. Um, so it's about, uh, you know, what do they have to do as a board to prepare, you know, to, pre uh, to get in that headspace, to change mindsets, um, and to, yeah, and to really reflect on, you know, uh, uh, colonial practices that have, you know, um, been happening within within their spaces uh, 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 forever. Uh, so that's, you know, that's part of it. They need to get themselves ready. They need to, you know, um, get, you know, you know, look at their policies, look at their practices, and and start there and uh, uh, ensure that uh, they're moving towards again uh, anti-oppression, anti-racism. When it actually comes to, you know, specific pieces, uh, you know, uh, uh, around recruitment, there, there's, I would say, don't just focus on recruitment, right? Like how does boards, what are they there to do? It, it's, it's governance, it's decision-making. There are so many ways to do that governance and decision-making work. I would love boards to have a lot more creative conversations about how do we get the insights we need to make decisions. So I think you you have like, you know, two paths that you, you're working on at the same time. One is, yes, definitely building relationships so that you can um, uh, invite in with care and invite in with intent, you know, um, three or four members at a time that, you know, represent the diversity of the communities you're trying to serve. But as you're doing that, at the same time, you're also looking at, because that might take time. So in the meantime, you, you know, what can you do? Well, you can um, start to build that pipeline. You can get out there in the community and you can actually start talking about your work. You can get out there in isolated communities where, where you know you, you're, you're, you're organized, the organization is serving that population or wants to serve it, but, but maybe, you know, um, has having, is having challenges. You know why? So you start talking to people. You go, you go where your community is, and you start talking. You start building those relationships. So I think having you know those three tracks of kind of learning, um, uh, learning and building your space to get ready, 
um, uh, having, yes, a recruitment strategy, but it, it's a long term thing. Like, don't think that, oh, this next recruitment, you know, if, you know, we're going to, you know, bring in, you know, uh, the, the one black woman and, you know, which is how they're doing it now. Uh, <laughs> yes. and, and, you know, I think the thing that I really connect with in, in your comments there, and the one I see organizations starting to do this well, is as you were saying, focusing first on representation before just random diversity. We be random. You don't even know what diversity you want. Because there in fact, go. in a lot of cases, they think they're looking for X, Y, Z, you know, the typical skin deep. Whereas if they listened and looked at their community, they would, it, it's such a clear roadmap. Yeah. An organization that looks at who they're serving and who they were created to represent. Exactly. Look at that crowd and say, that crowd does not look like this board. That's your roadmap is, is right there. Yeah. Funny enough, for me, these conversations, again, a lot of what I do being a fundraiser is around money. And I tell them, you know, even in the diversity of money, you're not well represented. Mm -hmm. Typical boards, they go after what they think is money and power, which they think is rich people and corporate. Mm -hmm. yeah. When in, in the end, one of the big questions in fundraising is, isn't just who has money, but who is willing to give it? Exactly. And yeah. why do we get the complaint from so many organizations? My board doesn't give because you didn't recruit truly from your actual donor base. Yeah. You just went and chose the head banker where you bank you know, typical power lead partner at the biggest firm in town, those aren't representation either. Yeah. You yeah. know, so these days we're saying you've got to right size. If you want to talk about representative power and money, then we've got to talk about things like city councilors instead of, you know, whoever's the head of X corporation in your province, they're just not going to do anything for you. Mm -hmm. Right. So that is, is, you know, when we talk about representation and again, who you're yes. serving, those roadmaps are, they become so much faster and easier instead of again a ton of boards right now doing all of these studies. Again, this is this is again one of the tenets of white supremacy. The answer to everything is a study. Is a study, I know. As opposed know. to yeah. straight up action. Yeah, and, exactly. And community is is tired of the studies. They're tired of being asked, um, uh, you know, yeah, asked to participate in this, surveyed about this. It's, yeah. it's about action now. And uh, I think in most cases, we have enough data to do to, to start some work, right? And uh, so people supporting us in this, right? Senator Radna Om Navar. Yes, yeah. has really taken on the championship to say before we study this stuff, which we already did, is now we've got to actually collect the data of who's on boards. So that's been a big mm -hmm. deal of hers. Yeah. Again, because she comes from Maytree and that background around diversity, but she's saying, that is one that would be good to have, mm -hmm. but we don't need something external. This should be mandatory reporting. Yeah, yeah. And again, that changes the whole game when it's reporting in this space. And I can tell you, I've already listening to organizations saying, you know, what does that got to do with our operations? Well, it has a lot. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think there's lots of, you know, my days at the Canadian Women's Foundation, you know, we knew that the, the, we that there was a lot of untapped potential in terms of the donors, the, um, uh, the partners that were either coming to us or that we were going to. And I think that it's an ongoing challenge. Again, how do you build relationships with um, uh, uh, people, again, who, who have disposable income, who want to donate, but again, who are not, don't fit in that typical box of corporate, you know, um, uh, you know, retired or, you know, whatever the definition is, you know, even as a consultant now, like I'm very um, strategic about my donations, but at the same, you know, 
Um, but like, I haven't been approached, you know what I mean? Like no one is coming and looking at me to say, you know, yeah. So it, it's interesting. Like why, uh, I think if, if, if someone, if an organization were to approach me in a, you know, a thoughtful way, I, I, I'd be open to listening. Right. Um, so, but I haven't seen anything new. I really, in that area, in terms of, again, um, uh, reaching groups that, again, don't fit that, that the, the default image of a, a large donor. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, I think also people want to invest in this. So I will encourage our listeners to listen to the podcast of Kimberly's discussion with Andrea Gunrash of the foundation. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I think, too, we've got a new school of leadership in these organizations. When I, when I listen to the Canadian Women's Foundation, to the Foundation for Black Communities out of Calgary and the Circle on Indigenous Philanthropy, these communities now are saying, we are again going to lead from the place that we need to be, not anymore from a place of deficit or apology or even we're asking you for. They're saying we are going to define what we need and we are not going to push that line back because it makes you uncomfortable or you right. can't meet us there. We're going to raise our own capital. We're going to do our thing. We're going to define what success looks like. And you're going to come along or not. Yeah. And the community, and this is, a, again, a wonderful thing I've learned from my Indigenous colleagues about, about calling in rather than calling out. You know, I had an, a wonderful experience this summer with a young professional who, frankly, mentors me around gender equity in our sector. And, um, you know, everybody knows I'm someone who's very connected to books. And uh, I always bring a ton out on these walks that I do. And, and she reminded me how, how many of us grew up on these older white dudes, Stephen Covey's, Napoleon Hill's. Whenever I ask people, what is the one book that got you to where you are? I get the classic library of success. And she looked at that classic library and said to me, a lot of dudes, huh, Paul? <laughs> yeah. 10,000 less compassionate ways to say that. And, you know, as a, as a support to simply, again, uh, you know, one of my uh, uh, colleagues from a diverse community was talking. Some people always say, whenever boards are talking, where do we start, whatever. And they, and she said, this is Chris Archie, the CEO of The Circle. Please do not ask me a question that you could Google. Mm-hmm. What do we do here? What are the you know beliefs around this? Google it. There's entire documents on the line. And in case, you know, when the Canadian Women's Foundation, they're like, and a whole bunch of them were made by us. Yes. We made a document called your roadmap to this kind of success or diversity or inclusion. Read it. Right. So there's, there's a lot of homework for these boards and communities to be doing first before they call us out and, of course, ask us to show up for free. Um, you know, that's the piece I would definitely say for organizations start putting and this is something Kimberly has been talking about for a long time is don't just put this on the agenda, but make mental space. Yes. And again, as we start to recognize physical space for different communities, uh, you know, but to everything from smudging to religious obligations of prayer, et cetera. If yeah. I, I'll never forget, I, I was at this uh, small gathering where they had a quiet room with the masseuse and some like yoga type music going, whatever. Uh, and then someone got upset because someone was praying in there. And you're like, eh, spirituality is welcome, but not actual faith. Right? What, does, what does this stuff look like in its practice? You know, one of the, one of the f- easiest things that a board could do, and I challenge anyone working in governance 
to try is just get rid of the table. Mm, yeah. And I did that at, at this workshop last weekend and it was so funny. I walked into the room and they had a traditional U-shaped table with chairs set up and there was another space over here and I took a bunch of chairs and they had cushions even in the room. So I threw some cushions down on the floor. I put the chairs in a circle and they walked in and people went straight to the table. And then there were some younger um, BIPOC folks who just knew exactly, oh, well, good. I get to sit and stretch on the, on the floor. This is awesome. And some of the members were like, do I have to sit on the floor? I'm like, no, there's chairs here. You can sit on a chair. But it was such a disruptor to the way they had traditionally entered into those meetings. And so it's an easy thing to do. Just change mm-hmm. the physical space. And it was funny. They had their coffee cups and they're like, what do I do with my What do I do? <laughs> <laughs> well, you can get another chair to put your coffee cup on if that's what makes you comfortable. But we're doing this. Yeah. So easy, so uncomfortable, and really inclusive. Because when you gather in a circle without a table between you, again, you're connected in community with each other. Yeah. It, it helps with um, definitely yeah, that sense of inclusion. But for me, what that also does, it disrupts the status quo. And it's yes. a start. It gets your brain again thinking, okay, mm-hmm. this is going to be different. Yeah. And so for me, you know, um, even when it comes to land acknowledgements now, I really um, try to uh, use that point at the beginning of a meeting to again, ground and set the stage that this is going to be different, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So, you know, put away whatever, you know, or, you know, to your best ability, you know, um, whatever you did an hour or two hours before this, this is what we're here to do now. We're decentering now and we're centering something else. And, you know, so yeah, I totally love that idea of, yeah, let's, let's get rid of the table. Mm-hmm. And all of this wisdom that we've also been missing out on. Mm. You know, again, for me, I was born and raised uh, here in Ontario. And what what sort of wisdom of any diversity was included in the school system? My children are still learning Italian for no reason. Uh, You know, (laughs) in in the little enclave where we are, it's ridiculous. And all these things built in. Whenever people ask me that really annoying question, if you could time travel and talk to anybody. uh, And I was, you know, these days I'm saying, I would like to go back to the 1700s and have a very stern conversation with this dude, Robert, about his damn rules <laughs> that, that have un, unintentionally, in a lot of ways, in our charitable sector, become the absolute goalposts of supremacy. Yeah. And yeah. that it is the secret handshake of who knows and who doesn't that yep. then defines hierarchy in that room, too. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. A thousand percent. A thousand percent. That's that's. Robert's rules of order are based on a colonial construct, and we need to challenge ourselves um, to still comply with legal requirements and and make decisions, but look critically at and, and challenge all of our systems and processes. Now is the time to do that. And the most important question that someone can ask is why? Why are, why are we doing this this way? Yeah. Um, so a thinking and learning board, I'm proud of the board that I serve on because we are doing this stuff. We are, and we're not, it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but at least there's intent. Yeah. You know, that's why I hang out with Kimberly because she's willing again, you know, Robert's rules and all these, these physicalities of rules is safety. Mm-hmm. Right? There's, there's a whole bunch of people who would rather fill in a chlorine filled pool than get into the, a, a lake, let alone an ocean. And Kimberly is someone who's always been willing to swim in the ocean. Yeah. That I'm I'm I can I can be comfortable being uncomfortable to learn. And mm, every once in a while you do almost drown. Uh, yeah. but that uncomfortableness is what will take us forward. Yeah. Just Not only do I swim in the ocean, Paul, I often do it naked. Yes, I'm aware <laughs> as well. There uh, you go. I get yeah. the calendar invites. Oh, are we swimming? Uh one day, but it is a, it is it's a courageous thing and it's got to be there. And again, Kimberly has helped me come along so much to say, how do we be personally and professionally courageous? What does that really mean? Yeah. And the big question, we've got a lot of colleagues asking that in the next couple of years is what are you willing to give up? Exactly. Yeah. First phase of diversity for many years, we all made a mistake and say, it's not going to hurt. You're not going to lose anything. It's, you know, you're going to be comfortable. And yeah. now we're really saying, you know what? No. No, uh, you tried it. It's not going to work. And you're not willing to budge an inch. So we're going to have to break a lot of stuff up. Yeah. What it means is that the people are scared. One day they're going to show up to the parking lot. And the lines are going to be gone or different. Yeah. And boy, oh boy, they've relied on those lines their whole life to, de- yeah. to define hierarchy. Yeah. So that's the part of which I think as well, collectively, we can all sort of help too to alleviate that fear. Right. You're part yeah. of this process. Again, calling in instead of calling out. Yeah. We need you at the table as well, because yeah. again, people think they can just make a committee of us, of the other, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as a, the, as a, what was that article I was reading the other day? The ethnic aisle at the grocery store. Yes. Still what? Wait, what? No, back, back up. Tell me yes. what, what is this? The ethnic aisle at the grocery store. Yes. Most grocery, major grocery food chain, yes. chain still yes. have an aisle that is called ethnic um, and in, a ca- in fact, I was at one recently and it even said other. I was like, did you actually say other? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is where your food is kept. Uh, and I was like, that is the, there, there we've got the metaphor. You think that if you leave us to our own thing and let us self-serve what we need. Uh, but again, the challenge is it dumps us all into a, one place where we actually are all still separated. Again, many d- communities of diversity are still separated and in fact, that also then causes us to fight amongst ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Which, that was a part of the system, right? Yeah. Yes, that is a part of supremacy as well to say, yeah. y'all fight. Yeah, exactly. exactly. First yeah. at what table? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. you know, that's that's another part, too, for us to, to even sometimes say, and I'm very proud, and that's why I call out, you know, your your uh, Circle on Indigenous Philanthropy Foundation for Black Communities and the Canadian Women's Foundation, who said, we will not do that. We will have our agency. We will define who we are and what we're going to do. And we will be waiting for you to show up. And here are the terms in which we need you to show up. It's a yeah. very courageous new world that way. Yeah. 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 Great. Mm-hmm. Thank you for your work, Chanel. Is there any final thoughts that you'd like to um, offer up for us today? Yeah. Um, yeah. We really enjoyed this conversation. And um, I think. Uh, you know, for, for organizations and leaders that are, you know, uh, that are engaging in this work, um, I, I think uh, 
you know, one one of the things I say is, is and I think you know, we both we've all mentioned it at some point is is to start right is to just start with with the um, uh, with your best intentions, mm -hmm. but at the same time, you know, um, don't don't get stuck in the um, don't get stuck in the learning, don't get stuck in the overwhelm. Definitely, you know, Paul, to your point about um, investment in budget, yeah, I um, I see that as well. And sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll compare and I might, um, you know, do some research on organizations to see, well, how much did they invest in, you know, straight leadership work, performance, you know, um, uh, leadership performance stuff? How does that compare with the investment you're making in um, uh, equity and uh, anti-racism, for example? And, and again, you know, what, my feeling is um, very strongly that if organizations are not um, uh, investing and in paying attention to uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, there's a huge risk of relevancy. There's a huge risk. Community, mm -hmm. um, various stakeholders, they're like, like you said, they're, um, they're not going to come along. They're going to find another way to do what they do. And you are going to yep. be left out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's about future proofing your organization. If you think the world still needs your organization 20, 30 years from now, then you need to get started today. Exactly. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Well, thank you for your writing, Chanel. We're really grateful for it. The community is really grateful for it because it is an accessible community teaching. And of mm -hmm. course, we're all Hailborn fans here, you know, got to say it to folks, if you're not, you know, subscribing to it, please do, because it's our community conversation in a lot of great ways. And uh, and we hope with this as well to to unpack a lot of those things. So yeah. keep writing, we'll keep reading. And thank great. you. Great. Appreciate that, Paul. Appreciate that support. Thank you so much, Chanel, for your willingness to have this conversation with us today. Our sector has so much important work to do, and I hope this podcast has helped some of you know that while the work is important, it can also be complicated and sometimes messy for everyone involved. Let's call people in and welcome everyone into Brave and Bold Conversations. Folks, please remember to share, like, subscribe, and uh, continue to build connection and community through candid conversations on this podcast. See you next time.